Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Welcome back to the basement, Caroline. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, we've got a... We've got a Big. One of our, sorry, one of our last basement episodes, actually. Uh, you, one of our last basement episodes, actually. <laughs> actually. Uh, yeah, I think a maximum of, um, I mean, I guess a maximum of four more episodes will be recorded here. <laughs> Possibly less. We'll have to see how it goes. But we're soaking up that basement, that increasingly empty basement energy mm. uh, as it goes. Yeah, hopefully we're not too echoey. Uh, We've packed up so much in here. We have. I, I don't think, I, honestly, I think there's still pl- plenty of cushion to push in. Okay. Right now. Um, <laughs> no comment. So today's show is a big one. It's a meaty topic. Uh, I think it's a very genuinely interesting, fun topic. Um, but I have to open with a, a bit of a disclaimer, or I want to open with a bit of a disclaimer, because mm. the contours of today's story um, bear some resemblance, I would say a more than passing resemblance to the story of Georgia Damsky an old favorite of ours on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, George Adamski, listen, it's, it's, he's one of my favorite kind of figures to, to read and think about. Sure. Uh, I can recommend a great parlor LARP uh, about George Adamski if anybody uh, wants. It's called Watch the Skies, Jason Morningstar. Um, <laughs> George Adamski is one of very few subject areas carrie that we've gotten like angry comments on we've riled people with our with our georgia damsky coverage yeah i don't know if maybe it's a youtube algorithm thing because i post our episodes uh, a little too late uh, after the fact to youtube and that's one of our most listened to episodes probably because there's not a ton of Adamski tent. Yeah, there's not a lot of youtube videos about georgia damsky so i think we come up and search or maybe it was just shared on some Adamski message board, but, but it so seems like people who believe in him and believe his story uh, were very displeased by our coverage. Yeah, suffice it to say, George Adamski still does have fans out Apparently. there, and um, and they're ready to defend him. And today's subject, as I said, you'll see the ways in which this story bears... Um, resemblance to his story and today's subject is still an active religion with followers all around the world it's really hard to get an estimate of how many of them there are mm-hmm. the ray aliens but um they're out there and if any of you are listening to this show welcome we're not trying to be offensive um please don't yell at us we're just covering a I story mean, they're gonna listen they're gonna be offended and, yeah. and they're gonna yell at us um and but just keep keep in mind we've made fun of all religions we've talked about pretty much uh you know certainly christianity which we were both raised in so i think we have that yeah, right um but you know we're, we're not we're not trying to be shitty and i feel like it would be disrespectful <laughs> to avoid to have the the massive void in like if we're covering UFO stories, if we're talking UFO stuff on this podcast, and that's part of what what people like hearing from us, we have to talk about uh, uh, Rael. We yeah, have to. I mean, we'll we'll cover even more UFO religions down the line as well. Heaven's Gate. That might be more of a, a cult situation. We're definitely going to talk about that at some point. But yeah, you know, we're not going to purposely avoid talking about something unless it's like our safety. Like maybe like. 
I don't know, cartels or something. Oh, right. And, <laughs> and the Raelians have uh, historically been known to be vocal and sometimes even litigious, but uh, they are the opposite of violent. They are very nonviolent people. So in that well, way, that's good. Uh, we're going to be safe. Um, but I will uh, put it on Front Street right now. I don't believe that humanity was seeded on Earth by ancient aliens. So that's the perspective I'm coming at this topic from. And I, I know that about you, Sean. It, it has nothing to do with Rael. I, you don't believe in ancient alien anything. Yeah, I don't so. believe the guy with the big hair on History Channel either. No, Giorgio. And if anyone listening hears anything, you know, if, if anything I say sounds unflattering about Rael or about uh, 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 any of this, uh, parody. I'm, it's parody. I'm, I'm a, a dumb person, and, and please don't listen to anything that I have to say. And with all of that out of the way, Raelism, or Raelianism, is a radical materialist, creationist, atheist UFO religion. A lot of ists. A lot of ists in there. And we'll get through, we'll get through what exactly that means and what they believe, um, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, this group was founded by Claude Maurice Marcel Vorion who changed his name to Rael after his purported first meetings with his extraterrestrial masters in 1973. Is that one word, or is that like Ray-L, like Cal-L was Superman's name? No, it's Rael, and it means bringer of, of light or something similar in Hebrew. It's, it's where Israel comes from. But is it one word? or Yes, okay. yeah, R-A-E-L. Oh, okay. I was thinking R-A-Y-E-L, like Cal-L. Uh, there's a guy named Lord Ray-L, who's a different person. Okay. <laughs> and right. he's, a lot of Ray-Ls. He's, um, Lord Ray-Ls, a, a, whole, a whole other can of worms. <laughs> a, uh, a sort of internet-born messiah uh, who we can talk about another time. <laughs> okay. Um, but, Carrie, uh, do you have any context here? What do you know about Ray-L? Well, now I'm confused because I thought last podcast on the left covered this, but that maybe is, they covered the other Rael. That's Lord Rael. He's kind of okay. an internet presence. Yeah. And that was that was like when they first began. So I really, I know nothing besides what you've said in this introduction. Okay. Well. Uh, our and the ma- picture you showed me of him. Yes. <laughs> uh, our main sources today are um, Aliens Adored. Rael's UFO Religion by Susan Palmer, and also some articles I've found around the internet that Palmer has written. She is one of the only social scientists who seems to have ever taken this group seriously enough to treat them as like an area of study, of sociological study. Hmm. And uh, we salute her for it. Absolutely. It's certainly worth studying, and it's certainly fascinating, and honestly, just as legitimate as anything else anybody believes. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, our second source is Intelligent Design by Rael himself. Uh-huh. Uh, this edition is from 2005, and it collects uh, Rael's first three books, along with some annotations at the end. Okay. Uh, and also, uh, I, we might not get to this uh, until the end of this program, but uh, I did... Uh, I'll mention testimony from ex-Raelians uh, at some point. You can find that over at raelian.org. That's a site run by a guy who claims to be an ex-Raelian named Wan Jun Lee. Okay. So, those are our sources. With that out of the way, uh, Rael, a.k.a. Claude Maurice Marcel Vorion, was born September 30th, 1946, in Vichy, France. And I'm going to... Listen, any French word, city, or 
pronunciation that has to pass through my mouth is going to be uh, terrible. So that's one You'll more. You'll do your best. It's one more thing people can be mad at me about, about <laughs> uh, on, on this episode. Um, so after attending several different boarding schools, Vorion ran away at age 15. And at that point, he hitchhiked to Paris. And then he says he spent three years busking and playing music in cafes and later on in cabarets as he started to become more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, in his foundational religious text, the book that tells the truth, uh, Rael does make sure to mention that his guitar playing got him laid uh, starting at 14, and then it, it sounds like pretty consistently. Hmm. The real Mick Jagger of UFO religions. That's right. Um, and after a chance meeting with a radio producer, the young Vorian would lay, land a record contract, and he actually released six radio singles under the name Claude Selet. And this is in the 60s? Yes, this He's is the in, late... Is he still a teenager? This is the early to mid-60s. Okay. So there you have it. That's his uh, single, Monsieur Votre Femme me, me Trompe. It's kind of a bop. I like the little theremin. Is that the theremin in there? I think that's a, that might be a Mellotron. Actually. Very Doctor Who sound. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah, it actually reminds you of... Del, is it the Del Shannon song? Yes, Runaway. Yeah, Runaway. Mm-hmm. Um, that that <laughs> Very whole nice. thing. All right. <laughs> so uh, that was uh, my favorite. He, there's some other Claude Sillet uh, singles you can look up out there, but that's Monsieur Votre Femme Métron. Kind of slaps. Which uh, means... It doesn't really roll off the tongue, but it slaps. No, well, it means, sir, I'm banging your wife, basically, as best I can tell. Really? Yeah. Well... It's, uh, your wife is cheating on me. With you. I guess. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, anyway, Rael says, at this point, quote, Those who were guiding me did not really want me to become too famous an artist. That stage of my life had been planned to develop my sensitivity and to accustom me to expressing myself in public, but no more than that. Planned by... Um, the forces that were guiding him to become the man he was meant to be, Carrie. We'll, we'll uh, unpack that a little bit more later. Sure. Um, but that's his way of saying his popularity started to decline. His musical prospects uh, became less of a money-making concern. He worked for the record company as a salesman for a little while, and um, it wasn't his passion. Mm-hmm. What uh, this young Claude had was a passion, and in his words, ever since I was nine years old, I've had but one passion, motor racing. Oh, okay. You didn't think that was getting in here, did you? No. Yeah, apparently a big uh, motivator in his singing career was just making enough money to buy a racing car so he could get into the sport, and um, now, with the singing career over, he decided that becoming a sports journalist might not give him the money to buy the sports car, but it would give him up-close access to the track and maybe a chance to get in the game. Sure. Uh, so after he met his first wife, Marie-Paul Christini, uh, he started a publishing house to launch his own racing magazine. 
Mm. I mean, this is a self-starter. He didn't go get a job as a journalist. He didn't go to journalism right. school. Like, not apply for a job. Start a publishing company. Like, okay, I'll start a publishing company. And, and then, a magazine. And then they'll let me do a magazine because they'll be me. Yeah. And as part of his duties it's for this... It's kind of like what I did for film, so I get it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's the independent system. Uh, as part of his duties for this quickly growing self-run magazine, Vorion got to test drive autos for like magazine reviews, including racing models. And then he kind of met some people in the racing world just as planned. And he would apparently eventually drive borrowed cars in competitions. And uh, Rael notes, also in this foundational religious text that he has about 10 trophies in his apartment from his racing days. I feel like about 10 means eight or nine. That's very interesting. So he's talking about how he's won a bunch of racing trophies and how he's gotten laid a bunch in like his Bible, basically. Yeah. Oh, that's the, the in the first couple of chapters. It's mm. a lot of that. Okay. His life would change forever, Carrie, after the encounter of December 13th, 1973. Now, on that day, Vorion says he took a drive to a volcano overlooking the city of Clermont-Ferrand. And he had a life-changing encounter there that he would record in his hit 1974 book, uh, Le Livre qui dit la vérité. Something about the truth? The book that tells the truth. It's a very straightforward <laughs> title. Right. Uh, and the subtitle even, is... Even the Bible is not like such a straightforward name. Or and the, the New uh, Testament. Well, uh, Raelians will, I think just call this Le Livre. It's just called The Book. The Good Book. To them. Um, the there is a subtitle. The subtitle was The Message Given to Me by Extraterrestrials. Okay. So as he reached the crater, Claude strolled to the center, and he was hanging around enjoying nature for a while, and then he said he was getting ready to go, and he took one last look around when he saw an aircraft descending swiftly and silently toward him. Mm-hmm. Like he said, he thought he was seeing a helicopter at first, but because there was no noise, he thought, wait, is this a balloon? Mm -hmm. When it was about 20 feet overhead, very close, he recognized a flying saucer like you see in the movies. I had always believed in their existence, but I had never dreamed I would actually see one. It measured some seven meters in diameter, about 2.5 meters in height, was flat underneath and cone-shaped. On its underside, a very bright red light flashed, while at the top, an intermittent white light reminded me of a camera flash cube. This white light was so intense that I could not look at it without blinking. When it was just six feet off the ground, the craft opened a trapdoor from its underside and a ramp came out, and a four-foot-tall man came walking down the ramp. Danny DeVito? <laughs> no, very, no uh, very much not so. Uh, other than the height, completely different. Rail says... He wore, some sort of, he wore some sort of green one-piece suit, which covered his entire body. And although his head seemed to be exposed, I could see around it a strange sort of halo. It was not really a halo, but the air about his face shone slightly and shimmered. It looked like an invisible shield, like a bubble, so fine you could barely see it. His skin was white with a slightly greenish tinge, a bit like someone with liver trouble. Hmm. This guy needs help. Yeah. Um, and then they had a conversation that is recorded word for word in the book that tells the truth, which, I mean, that's the title. So we know this conversation did actually happen. Carrie, if you read the black, uh, this is Rael's dialogue, and then I'll read the uh, visitor's dialogue in green. Where do you come from? From very far away. <laughs> do you speak French? I speak all the languages of the earth. Do we're, you... Also, we're speaking in French. <laughs> right? What are you... 
<laughs> Do you come from another planet? Yes. Is this the first time you have visited the Earth? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> have you been here often? Oh, very often, to say the least. Why did you come here? Why is he so coy? <laughs> I don't know. I like his vibe, though. Well, today, to talk to you. To me? Uh, his voice is high pitched. I'm making his voice high because he's small, but I also, he's wearing green. To me, this this guy's the great kazoo. How <laughs> do I not picture? <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yes, dum-dum. Um, <laughs> yes, to you, Claude Vorion, editor of a small motorsport magazine. <laughs> Gotta get the plug in there. Married and father of two children. How do you know all that? We have been watching you for a long time. Why me? Oh, this is precisely what I want to tell you. Why did you come here on this cold winter morning? I don't know. I felt like walking in the fresh air. Do you come here often? In the summer, yes, but almost never in this season. So why did you come today? Had you planned this walk for a long time? No, I don't really know. When I woke up this morning, I suddenly had an urge to come here. You came because I wanted to see you. Do you believe in telepathy? Yes, of course. It's something I've always been interested in, as well as the subject of flying saucers, but I never thought I'd see one myself. Well, I used telepathy to get you to come here, because I have many things to tell you. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> have you read the Bible? Yeah, it's going to be one of these, huh? Mm -hmm. Real uh, personal relationship thing. Mm-hmm. Vorian followed the green-clad little man up the ramp into a softly glowing circular room with no navigational equipment or computer panels anywhere, but a couple of vaguely comfortable chairs. And then the alien explained that they needed a representative somewhere on Earth where new ideas were welcomed. And France, of course, was the cradle of modern democracy. Also, USA Network. Characters welcome. Yeah, well, yes. And that's they, they, I believe they went to the headquarters of the USA Network first. We love psych. I, we have an idea for a show. Have you considered a show where people wear suits? <laughs> we call it suits. It wasn't just a Frenchman they needed, Carrie. They needed someone really intelligent, but not a scientist or a literary person who would overcomplicate and confuse things for the uh, broad masses of the earth and this man who didn't reveal his name during this first encounter but i'll i'll just let that shoe drop uh, his name is yahweh oh okay and uh yahweh at this point told vorion that he came from a planet very similar to earth but it was very far away totally impossible for earthlings to ever get to um, but he could get here basically just by thinking about it really fast. Um, but he didn't want to talk any more about his planet, quote, for fear that the men of the earth might be unwise enough to disturb our peace. He explained that he had come here to monitor the development of humanity, who he called the future. Hmm. He said it would be impossible for Vorion to visit his planet as the atmosphere was very different and he hadn't had any training. And finally, he said there was much more to say. But Vorian would have to return the next day with a Bible and something to take notes. The okay. The alien waved his hand as Vorian descended the ladder. Toodaloo. I guess they do that too. And then the ship ascended 400 feet before disappearing into the clouds. All right. Vorian returned the next day and the green clad man sat him down and over the next six days told him the secret origins of humanity. A long time ago, Carrie, in a galaxy far, far away, there were human beings who invented cloning. 
It was about 20... Sounds like Star Wars so far. It was about 25,000 years ago. Okay. Uh, a lot of people were very excited about the invention of cloning, but the government of this planet was afraid that the scientists would create monsters who would ultimately be their destruction. So they banned cloning in their world. Mm-hmm. But interstellar travel had also come a long way. So the scientists were like, cool, we'll go beat our own path. They set out for a planet with most of the conditions they wanted to conduct their experiments. And that planet ended up being Earth. Mm-hmm. Now, Carrie, in the Bible, the Hebrew word for, that's used for God is Elohim. Mm-hmm. And that's a plural word in the Hebrew language, Vorion points out. And as the green-suited man explained, it actually means those who came from the sky. And it refers not to one creator God, but to the alien scientists who first came to Earth, I guess about 22,000 years ago was the first arrival. And then he proceeds to go verse by verse through the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. translating the Judeo-Christian creation myth into a sci-fi narrative. You know, he, it's each, each verse, you know, below the firmaments and above the firmaments and all that stuff. Um, basically, the people back at, on the home planet were nervous. So the new men that the scientists created on Earth had to be kept in the dark about scientific knowledge. But then a rogue group of scientists that the book refers to as the serpent gives them the scientific knowledge and then they end up being exiled or exiled to stay on Earth watching over their creations. Um, this kind of tension between keeping man in the dark, but also some people wanting them to have scientific knowledge, uh, keeps on humming until the Great Flood, which in this telling is precipitated by a million nuclear warheads. Oh, wow. That eradicate all life on Earth, which Noah escapes in a spaceship, mm. which had just one cell f- from each you know organism on the Earth so that they could clone new ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the rocket just orbited the Earth until things were okay, and Noah <laughs> came back down and, and restarted life. I mean, so it's basically taking the Bible and just making it aliens. Yes. Um, Moses' burning bush was the rocket engines of a spaceship cooling down, but that's how he understood it. Uh, a repulsion beam held back the Red Sea to help the Israelites get out of Egypt. The manna in the desert was synthetic chemical food, like astronaut ice cream, that was just expanded with the morning dew. Um, Jesus, of course, was half Elohim and had telepathic abilities, uh, hypnosis, healing abilities, and and, uh, that's how you explain all of the miracles. Interesting. So instead of just starting a whole cloth new story or religion, it's, it's all a modification of Christianity. Yeah, but I, I feel like even the modern conception of ancient alien stories, by modern I mean like the History Channel mm-hmm. version, the Giorgio version, uh, you, you're always drawing on ancient mythology and lore to go like, see, they talk about people in the, in the sky. Yeah, Zeus was actually an alien. Yeah, exactly. It's um, It just makes sense. And also, since uh, so many of these ancient writings are poetic and allegorical and symbolic, um, and the, the language is just archaic and also translated from another language. You can really interpret whatever you want into a lot of these things, which has caused a lot of problems mm-hmm. in religions over the years. Um, but it also makes it really easy to adapt them for your own, uh, for your own purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, the creators uh, have left Earth alone for a long, long time. 
because they fear that humanity is going to hold a grudge against them from all those times they blew us up. Um, And they really want us to love them as our creators. In this first book, but I don't think it gets mentioned again in in the next book, he says that there are two other worlds somewhere where these creators have also seeded human life. And whichever of these three worlds will reach the appropriate level of scientific development first without blowing themselves up will inherit the Elohim's secret combined scientific knowledge and, um, you know, become sort of the the new masters of the universe. Well, what happens to the other two? They'll be dominated by that first one. Oy, oy, oy. And I think the reason this drops out after the first book is that the idea of dominating other cultures seems antithetical to what these aliens uh, want generally, mm-hmm. these Elohim, and uh, certainly antithetical to what Raelianism is all about. Mm-hmm. So on the fourth day, the besuited dwarf explained that Judgment Day was soon at hand. Not necessarily a fiery apocalypse, but certainly the end of the church on Earth. He said it had served... The Christian church. Yes. He said it had served its purpose by getting people ready to recognize the Elohim, by telling kind of a distorted version of their story. But now it's the scientific age, and we don't need all the superstitious trappings anymore. We can just reveal ourselves to humanity as we are. I guess, but if they had just come down in a flying saucer initially, people would have believed it because they saw it. So why did it need a whole mythology? If they had just presented themselves as they were, they wouldn't need like a story. It would just be like, we're aliens from another planet. They feel like for primitive beings, their minds would just snap if they saw this, these aliens in their Except full Except for glory. Claude, of course. He can handle it. Well, Cla- A, humanity has progressed to a certain point. Claude's not the first that they've spoken to. There have been, we'll get to it, but about 40 prophets throughout human history, including Jesus, of course, Carrie. And Claude's, of course. And Claude's just the latest one. Mm-hmm. Um, Claude, by the way, oh, so 1946, uh, it says in this book, I don't know anything about astrology and I haven't double checked this because I don't um, care that much. But in this book, it says that 1946 marked the start of the age of Aquarius. Hmm. I always associated it with like the 60s. It often gets tied up in... Talk hair. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it also often gets tied up and talk about um, Christian millen- millennialism, mm-hmm. millenism, where you know uh, the world's going to end soon. Age of Aquarius comes up a lot in there. I don't know if it really started in 1946, um, but that was certainly the start of the nuclear age after the bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima in 1945. 1946 was also... The year that Claude was born. Yes, the dawning, Carrie, of the age of Aquarius. He actually uh, claims he was conceived December 25th of uh, 1945, I believe. Over the next two days, Claude would finally learn his true purpose on Earth and the Elohim's greater plan for humanity. And I think we're going to hold that for right after the break. Keep you in some some nice mystical... Sorry, there's nothing mystical about this, Carrie. Keep you in scientific suspense. Until after the break. I love scientific suspense. The episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie that you're currently chewing on is brought to you by Neurogum. 
Hey, Carrie here. Have you heard of Neuro? It's a gum developed by former athletes training at the highest level who didn't want to take mysterious supplements or energy drinks when studying, training, or going out. Instead of something sugary and ineffective, they wanted to create clean, balanced energy that could be taken anywhere, anytime, without the jittery crash. Now, if you know me, you know I love a buzzy boost when I start to drag. Trying NeuroGum's Energy and Focus Formula was a revelation. It both energized me and helped me focus, which is pretty necessary when drowning in research about crimes from over a century ago. Energy and Focus is specially formulated with natural caffeine, L-theanine, and B vitamins to sustain the mental endurance necessary to maintain focus. But that's not the only option. Neuro also offers calm and clarity and health and vitality formulas if those are your primary concerns. Of course, with my sleepy self, Energy and Focus was the natural pick to test out. Go to our sponsor link at www.tryneurogum.com slash scary to get up to 30% off of your order and enjoy energy, calm, and focus whenever you need it. There's also a link in our episode description. That's tryneurogum.com slash ain't it scary and let them know Sean and Carrie sent you. Thanks for the clean burst of energy and focus, Neurogum. Welcome back. When last we left you, Claude Voriel, soon to be renamed Rael, had just stepped aboard an alien spaceship and heard the true origins of the human race. And I'd left you with a little tease, Carrie, that he was about to learn what his true purpose on Earth was. What do you think? What do you think so far? It's uh, interesting. It reminds me a little bit of Scientology, just with like the alternate alien origin of uh, humanity and the involvement of a volcano. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, the involvement <laughs> famously. Uh, there is a volcano involved and nuclear warheads in the Scientology story. I'm curious to hear more. Um, okay. So over the course of the first four days, uh, this being who again, Raya would later learn this being's name is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Yahweh said the Elohim, you know, basically that they really want to come help us out, bring humanity along on the next step of their development, mm -hmm. but they really want us to want it. Okay. The green-suited man said, If we give our knowledge to humanity, we have to be sure they will make good use of it. Our observations in recent years have not shown that wisdom rules the earth. <laughs> Certainly not. Certainly there has been progress, but some people still die of hunger, and a warlike spirit still exists throughout the world. We know that our arrival could improve many things and unite nations, but we have to feel that people really want to see us, and that they are truly starting to unify. We also have to feel that they really want to see us arrive, knowing fully who we are and understanding the true meaning of our arrival. Several times, human warplanes have tried to chase our crafts, taking us for enemies. Well, it's been like 50 years. I mean, they are taking their time. Yeah, I also... We're only getting more warlike. I, I love that this uh, takes the mysticism out of religion, but keeps the neediness of a god who's mm -hmm. just like, no, tell me, tell me you love me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, the being presented Claude with his true purpose. You, Claude Vaurion, you will spread the truth under your present name, which you will replace progressively with Rael, 
which means literally light of God. And if we translate it more accurately, light of the Elohim, or ambassador of the Elohim, because you will be our ambassador on earth. And we will come only officially to your embassy. Rael can simply be translated as messenger. And it is through telepathy that we made you name your son Ramuel, which means the son of the one who brings light, because he is truly the son of our messenger, of our ambassador. And following that pronouncement, he left. This seems to, (laughs) it it, it reads like a great way to justify what one might assume was a typo on the old birth certificate for Ramuel there. Unless it's a typo in the book. Maybe the kid's name is Samuel, Mm. which is, I think, a Hebrew name. That's a biblical name, right? Yes. So that makes more sense to me, but maybe Ramuel. Switch it up. And he's backing into a justification for it now. Um, Starting on day five, the creator dedicated his lectures to the political and humanitarian knowledge that he was prepared to pass along to humanity. The tools that he said would be of enormous benefit to helping us reach the level that his species was on. The first and most important one. These are some of the, these are important to the tenets of uh, the Raelian movement, obviously. Mm-hmm. Geneocracy. The Elohim say humanity's biggest problem is that brains have never been the qualifier for political power. <laughs> Tell me about it. The being said, the only type of people you have never placed in power are the ones who help humanity to progress. Whether they discovered the wheel, gunpowder, the internal combustion engine, or the atom, the geniuses have always allowed less intelligent people in power to benefit from their inventions. Often, such people have used peaceful inventions for murderous ends. All that must be changed. For this to happen, you must abolish all your electoral and polling systems, because in their present form, they are completely unsuited to human development. Each person is a useful cell in this huge body we call humanity. The cell in your foot should not decide whether or not your hand should pick up a given object. It is the brain which must decide. And if the object in question is good, the cell of your foot will benefit from it. It is not up to the foot to vote. Its job is simply to transport the body, including the brain. And it is not capable of judging if what the hand takes is good or not. Well, the library's open, and uh, Yahweh is reading humanity for filth. Oh, just wait. Uh, here's his suggestion for, for the, uh, like, kind of, this is the basis for the system of government. When individuals reach a responsible age, their intellectual coefficient can be measured and included on their identity or voter card. Only those with an intellectual capacity of at least 50% above the average should be eligible for a public post. To vote, individuals would need an intellectual coefficient of at least 10% above average. If such a system existed now, many of your present politicians would not hold the positions they do today. Roast mode. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's it's undemocratic is all. Yeah. And you can never have a really objective way of measuring people's intelligence. People are intelligent in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I see what he's saying here, because look what we've got. Yeah, but how do you standardize a test like that, you know? You couldn't do it fairly and without, like, huge, massive potential for abuse and... Um, corruption. Corruption. Yeah. And keeping groups of people down just because you don't like them. Yeah. Uh, and I can't help but think you would end up with a lot of laws, even if you got this system in place and it worked, 
you get a lot of laws that benefit smart people at the expense of dumber people. And that's not good well, either. Well, it's just like now how we have a lot of rich people in office and then the laws benefit them or the tax and, you know, legalities. It's funny how that works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also told Rael to live by the tenet of humanitarianism. This is sort of um, an economic and social philosophy rather than a political one. They said that capitalism is too cruel, basically. There's no way to um, have capitalism without some people being left out in the cold and chewed up and spit out by the system. Mm -hmm. But communism, quote, fails to provide a carrot big enough to motivate the people and encourage them to make progress which is a complaint that's often been levied against communism. Mm -hmm. So the Elohim propose a kind of complicated model where um, private property is abolished, the state owns everything, but you rent goods and property from the state for terms of 49 years. Why that? So that it doesn't last past the end of your life. They don't want- Can you rent it for shorter times? Um, I'm not, yes, I think so. I think the maximum lease is 49 years, but like you would rent your house for 49 years. It would take you 49 years to pay it off basically. And then you could live in it till you died, but then your kids wouldn't get it. The state would get it back and they could rent it to someone else. Uh huh. You would own a business if you started it and you could rent that to someone else, but not for more than 49 years. And then once you died, the business would become property of the state as well. Uh, there'd be no inheritance because quote, to each his own merits says, uh, says our Elohim friend. And um, the Elohim say that they, if you had a geneocracy, as we outlined before, it would naturally come to all of these conclusions anyway, and this is what's going to happen. But I feel like it has a similar weakness as communism does that he argued. What What is going to make people strive in that situation? If you can't even like leave anything for your kids. Well, and we'll get to this uh later maybe maybe even next week but robots are a big part of this it's important to have robots or uh, mindless drone slaves to do all your labor for you and we'll talk about (laughs) talk about that next week trust me but on, on this elohim planet none of them have to do any work so everybody who spends any effort doing anything is just kind of thinking and creating and they're only doing it because they want to okay um, it's very hopeful. Yeah, having all the robot labor helps a lot with this. Sure, we saw that in The Mandalorian. Yes, we sure did. Um, although it, it broke bad on that world with the Jack Black and Lizzo, didn't it, Carrie? But it was fixed. Yeah, couldn't prevent, couldn't prevent that whole operation from jumping the shark, though, could they, those droids? <sighs> I just want to see Space Daddy and his little Yoda baby. Uh, maybe, obviously, Carrie, in order to see geneocracy and true humanitarianism put in place. The Elohim said that you would have to have one world government. Mm. Um, And so they suggest first getting a totally new multicultural world currency and language that need to be invented and made compulsory in all schools and businesses. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, once we all get used to that, all nations at the same time have to permanently ban having militaries. Oh, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And then that's where his plan kind of ends, at least in this first book. So maybe they just figure with these elements in place, a world governing geneocracy will naturally coalesce. Or maybe what they're leaving unsaid is that the arrival of the creators, their return to Earth, will trigger things from there. Hmm. And then the creator sent the newly named 
Rael out there to spread the good word, though he said it wouldn't be easy. Communicate throughout the world and do not be discouraged. We will never help you openly or in any way that would give proof to the skeptics, since skepticism often goes hand in hand with aggressiveness. Intelligent people will believe you, since what you say contains nothing mystical. It is important to us that they believe you without any material proof. This proves to us more than anything else that they are intelligent and so are worthy to receive our scientific knowledge. Hmm. Interesting. It is the most interesting passage in the entire very interesting book, maybe. I mean, science is being skeptical about something. Right. And investigating to find evidence one way or the other. Right. And then repeating that process until you have enough evidence that you can believe something. Yes. But you never believe something intrinsically in, in science. That's, that's the opposite of science. Whereas this is arguing that the smart people will have faith. Yes. Which, if anything, I feel like they would be more agnostic about things because they would want proof. Well, I love this whole book and this whole movement is all about like the premise that this is more believable or more rational than, say, Christianity. Because there's, quote, nothing mystical. Because it's not literally about a man but standing on a cloud. But you have the little fail-safe in there of, but we're not going to show ourselves because you really got to believe in us. Exactly, so, which is the God trick. That's the trick so God. So that's, that's faith. That's not science. Agreed. But they use the word science a lot. Like Scientology. Kind of. Interesting. Hmm. This isn't like Scientology, though. I mean, it is they're both fake, but, but I think Scientology well. is... Very sinister. And these guys are mostly, I think they're mostly fine. But I'll let you be the judge. Okay. The creators also gave him a construction project. A seven bed, seven bath house with a conference room, swimming pool, and helipad in the center of a park surrounded by privacy walls, ideally on a plot of land recognized as an independent territory by the nations of the world. In this economy? Yeah. Um, They said... What we want to see is if there are enough wise people on earth. If a sufficiently large number of people follow you, then we will come openly. Where? At the place you will have prepared for our arrival. Duh. Have a residence built in a pleasant country with a mild climate, (laughs) with, with seven rooms always ready to receive guests, each with a separate bathroom, a conference room able to accommodate 21 people, a swimming pool, and a dining room capable of seating 21 people. This residence should be constructed in the middle of a park and should be protected from curious onlookers. The park should be entirely surrounded by walls to prevent anyone from seeing the residence and the swimming pool. The residence should be situated at a distance of at least 1,000 meters from the walls around the park. It will have a maximum of two stories and should be further screened from view by an inner barrier of trees and bushes. This goes on for a while with architectural details. Sheesh. You may live with your wife and children in the residence, which, oh, gee, thanks. which will be under your direction, and you will be able to have servants there and invite guests of your choosing. However, the area containing the seven rooms should be directly under the terrace, and it should be separated from the section used by human beings by a thick metal door, lockable from the inside, mm. which is kept permanently closed. Mm-hmm. An aseptic chamber should be built at the entrance to the conference room. The financing of the project will be made possible through the help you will receive from those people who will believe in you, and therefore in us. Mm -hmm. They will be wise and intelligent, and they will be rewarded when we come. 
Keep a record, therefore, of those who contribute financially to the construction and upkeep of the residence, however modest their contribution. Mm-hmm. And so, when humanity is fully prepared, the Elohim will land in their spaceship at this embassy, which Rael has not constructed yet, but will construct. Very specifically. Very specifically. They think they're, they're, they're in talks, they say, with a number of countries as to where to put it, but they're hoping for Israel. Mm-hmm. The Israeli government has said <laughs> nothing about this, of course. Right. Um, so the, the leaders of all the most important nations on earth, basically the G20, will basically then be invited to meet the Elohim at the embassy. But why Why would they be invited uh, if they're all stupid heads, like they say? Well, because they still are the, in charge of the most important nations on earth, and their help is going to be needed but for, why, for the Elohim to coalesce the world into a humanitarian geniocracy, obviously. Oh, well, why would a leader want to help them if the, if these aliens are saying, hey, you're stupid, we're going to abolish your government well, and replace you? Either because of the infallible wisdom of the Elohim philosophy, Carrie, of their received wisdom. But only intelligent people will believe them. Okay, well, maybe a couple of sex robots will persuade them. And yes, we will get to the sex robots. Okay. Okay. Now let's talk about the Elohim themselves. Because he did give Rael a few details about the uh, creators on this first meeting. First of all, their language closely resembles Old Hebrew, which is where the ancient Jews got it. Mm-hmm. Rael says the Elohim lived 10 times as long as we do through a, quote, small surgical adjustment. Um, they say the biblical Abraham and uh, uh, all those guys, Methuselah, they all got this surgery too. So that's why they would live to like 900 and stuff back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the Elohim die, they live on through clones. Okay. At least through several life- lifetimes. Although Yahweh said that, quote, in order to limit the population, only geniuses have the right to eternity. Hmm. He said that most labor on his world was intellectual because robots do all of the manual stuff. There was free, limitless nuclear power, and they transmitted information and lessons through liquid brain injections. So chemical education. Kids go to school and they just have like a little injection in their head and then that's it. Go home. Hmm. Uh, There are no wars anymore. And he says that's partly because they have these super brutal football like american football style sports where kind of gets the yayas out gets the yayas out exactly and everyone's uh, participating in these sports signs waivers that they're not allowed to receive medical attention <laughs> because the medical attention is so good that like if you're dead they can bring you back to life uh-huh so to keep the risk in place they have the sports no one's allowed to see doctors okay and then there's no wars okay rael asked what the aliens did with all their free time and Yahweh basically says they mostly spend it doing it. I mean, I mean, there's no marriages uh, on this planet. Couples exist, but, but sometimes and usually for not that long and they're free to part when they choose a lot of free love kind of feeling because Uh, the real intelligent ones aren't monogamous, man. And he says there's no jealousy at all on their world. It's a totally uh, bygone concept. It's groovy. Yeah, totally groovy. Um, oh, and by the way, previous prophets, Elijah, Moses, my man, JC, they're all there. 
J.C. Chazé from NSYNC. Exactly. And Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, Joseph Smith. These guys are all up there in oh. a specially built residence that mimics Earth's atmosphere. Because remember, Rael couldn't visit this planet because of the atmosphere. But but they're there in a, in a dome. Well, why can't he just visit the dome? Well, maybe, Carrie. Next epi- maybe next episode we'll find out. Because this is not... You know, meeting an alien in a crater is not the only place that this guy has similarities with George Adamski. At some point, Yahweh will return and take our man Rael for a little trip through the stars. Okay. Um, But that won't be for another couple of years. For now, after Rael had peppered him with questions about day-to-day life on his home planet, 30 million parsecs away or whatever, the alien standing before him pulled the prestige. Oh. As Rael asked, how old are the oldest ones? And he said, the oldest, the president of the Council of the Eternals, is 25,000 years old. And you see him before you now. <gasps> I, oh, shit. It was Yahweh the whole time. I have lived in 25 bodies up to this day. And I was the first one on whom this experiment was successfully carried out. That is why I am the president of the Eternals. I myself directed the creation of life on Earth. Damn. All right, Shyamalan. Okay. Twist. Amazing. So, I mean, the narrative uh, is pretty much over at that point. Rael leaves the spaceship a a new man and sets out on his mission. Um, And at the close of his first book, Rael says, I mean, he points out, and we talked about pulling the mystical out of religion, right, Carrie? And they call this an atheist religion. Um, Rael says that in the face of the modern world, modern science, modern technology, uh, in the face of being able to see further and further out into space, it's hard to put your faith in mystic concepts like a bearded, invisible god in the sky. But this still is putting your faith in an invisible alien that no one else has seen. Well, here's the thing. Modern science, and this is, he wrote this in the 70s, but I would argue that for a lot of people this is still true. Modern science is still a long way from giving us satisfying answers to any of these questions. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? Mm -hmm. And Rael then says, if you're ready for the world to stop being primitive, if you're ready to rise to the next level, send me a letter. And he concludes the first book with his current mailing and email address. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, and that's where the first book ends. Just that, like, here's what I heard. That's where the first book ends. It became an instant hit, and he would do about 40 speaking engagements over the next two years as the nascent Raelian movement began to uh, kick off. But we're going to hold all of that for our next week's episode. Um, it's possible that there was a time that this was the largest UFO religion on the face of the Earth. Sure. Do you think there's any... Uh, well, is Scientology a UFO religion? I think some, well, I, I, I'm, yes, Scientology is a UFO religion, but. Uh, Are there any bigger ones now? No. Well, unless it's, unless Scientology, but it's actually hard to figure out how many Scientologists there are, and it's also hard to figure out how many Raelians they are, there are. I suspect there are more Scientologists. Yeah, I would think so as well. Interesting. Um, so yeah, if any Raelians are with us and you've listened this deep into the episode, um, you know, I, I don't, I we're not saying that you're uh, uh, silly people for for um, certainly not being into all this stuff. It's just you know from an outside perspective, it's all pretty silly. Well, uh, 
lots of beliefs that require you to put your faith in the unseen do seem silly to the outside as well. Um, so a little preview of next week, Carrie. He will take a trip, Raya will, to the alien's uh, home world. And he will spend the rest of his life writing books and doing speaking tours and building up um, kind of a group of followers and young lovers around himself. I don't mean problematically young. Don't sue me. <laughs> I just mean young lovers. Um, what, so, did, what did his wife and kids say about this? Well, he's had three wives. Well, I guess at the time when he came home and said, I was at a volcano and I met an alien. How did his wife react to that? I don't know, because I wasn't there, but she was involved in the movement for the first few years. Okay. So she was on board, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. As for what caused any of his marriages to uh, fall apart, I don't know. I can only speculate. Extreme grooviness? But he was pretty groovy, and sometimes I think you can be too groovy for a marriage, yeah. Mm. Um, but next next week, we will talk about the Raelian movement itself, Um I think these are largely people who are find themselves right in the place I was just describing where they feel like religion is silly, but they have a need for belonging and for answers and for um, a feeling of, of uh, purpose. And community. I mean, a lot of people seek that from religion or other groups that they join. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we will get into the sort of structure of that organization, as well as, of course, Rael's trip to the stars uh, in the next episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. But for now, uh, my ride's here. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Let's say hello to the Weirdo of the Week. A news story went viral on social media this week regarding one patron of the Los Angeles Philharmonic that may have had an um, climactic reaction to a performance of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony on April 28th. Reports from the performance, which took place at the Walt Disney Concert Hall, allege that during a lull in the music, a rather uh, orgasmic scream-slash-moan was heard emanating from the balcony. Audience member Molly Grant told the Los Angeles Times that, quote, Everyone kind of turned to see what was happening. I saw the girl after it had happened, and I assume that she had an orgasm because she was heavily breathing and her partner was smiling and looking at her like in an effort not to shame her, said Grant, who was seated near the person who allegedly had made the noise. Grant added, it was quite beautiful. All right, we've we've discussed the coverage of this uh, story privately in our home, Carrie. Of course, I said, hey, get a load of this. Yeah, the moment you saw it, um, Mm -hmm. I heard you go, hubba hubba. And I was (laughs) like, what what is it? Um, 
why is it that no one interviewed in the story says maybe i wonder if that guy was finger blasting her under her dress i i, I don't know i don't know everyone seems to think that she either had a medical issue which we'll talk about or she had a just transported an by overwhelmingly music. pleasurable reaction to the symphony and i guess if you're the kind of person that goes to the symphony for fun um you can buy that i don't know Multiple attendees told the LA Times that they too heard a woman loudly moan during the symphony's second movement. One, composer Magnus Fines, tweeted that the sound was that of a person having a, quote, loud and full-body orgasm. An alleged audio recording of the moment made the rounds on social media, and why the hell not? We'll play it now. Okay, I mean, more, it's like, it's time, kind of right? comedically perfectly timed. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah, well. It's absolutely beautiful. And and that is one of my favorite uh, quartets for French horn, viola, cello, and clitoris. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> The LA Times reports that it's still unclear what exactly occurred in the audience and has not been able to identify or contact the person who uh, moaned. At least one attendee told the Times they were seated in the road directly behind the person in question, and they said it appeared the woman had woken up from some sort of sleep attack when she made the disruptive sound. Quote, pretty quickly, she sort of fell onto her partner's shoulders and then onto his lap. Yeah, one of those good naps. And then her body went limp, recalled the audience member who requested anonymity. Maybe like five seconds later, she kind of awoke, and that's when she let out a scream. The anonymous audience member said it resembled a narcoleptic attack. The- <laughs> she, she was also in her boyfriend's, like her head was in her boyfriend's lap before this happened? She sort of fell onto her partner's shoulders, then onto his lap, and then her body went limp, and then she kind of awoke and let out a scream. All right, you know, you know what I think happened here. <laughs> the LA Philharmonic's online program describes the second movement of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony as follows. The luscious main theme was adapted for a pop... For a popular love song, Tchaikovsky's skillful orchestration, however, lifts the mood from sentimentality to high romanticism. The movement's principal melody is presented in a memorable solo by the horn, (laughs) followed by a woman moaning, no, followed by other appealing woodwind solos. So... It's a real solo situation. Attendee Lucas Burton concluded the Times' report with this observation, quote, One can't know exactly what happened, but it seemed very clear from the sound that it was an expression of pure physical joy. There was a sort of gasp in the audience, but I think everyone felt that it was a rather lovely expression of somebody who was so transported by the music that it had some kind of effect on them physically, or, dare I say, even sexually. So it seems that perhaps the L.A. Phil has taken ASMR to an explosive new level. Yeah, that or she just diddled while they fiddled. Oh, Jesus. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google voice number 
203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And thank you very much to those of you already joining us on Patreon. We love you so much. And our top patrons are Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Ozzy Sean Downs, Ryan, Enrique, and Derek. We love you all very much. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing; she'd invested three hundred thousand dollars with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con.